were to kind of summarize some of the key take-homes from a diagnostic perspective, uh, the Invisia classifier is now approved by Medicare for use. Um, it's approved in many states for use and is being utilized and is a currently available uh, less invasive option than surgical lung biopsy that can be of value in some of our patients in helping to confirm an IPF diagnosis. Uh, in terms of uh, some of the other advancing um, diagnostic techniques, we still need probably a few more years before we'll be able to utilize them in clinical practice. Um, in terms of uh, therapies, there's been uh, a lot of advances that have come up within the past, I would say, six months to one year. Uh, we've seen for nintetinib and perfenidone both that there are emerging data that they may be able to be utilized in conditions other than IPF uh, with nintetinib. We saw the census study get published this year, and we see that in patients both on background MMF therapy and not on background MMF therapy, uh, nintetinib appears to slow progression of uh, lung function decline. So, uh, so nintetinib is an option in our scleroderma patients. We saw the progressive uh, fibrosing ILD study, or the in-build study, uh, get published within the past month. Um, that study suggests that in patients who have importantly failed standard of care, and I think that's a really important point for us to note, these are patients with chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis or autoimmune ILD or unclassifiable ILD, and they had failed standard of care therapy before receiving nintetinib, um, but after uh, failing standard of care and receiving nintetinib, they had a favorable uh, favorable results, slowing lung function decline. So in that population, that is an agent to consider. And we saw recent data published on perfenidone in patients with unclassifiable ILD, suggesting that perhaps uh, perfenidone uh, is an option to slow lung function decline in those patients. So I think we're seeing expanding indications for antifibrotic therapy that are moving a bit beyond IPF itself. The only disclaimer I have there is that I think it's very important to realize that many of these patients will, will have a mix of inflammatory and fibrotic disease and to make sure that you're addressing their inflammatory disease before starting an antifibrotic or perhaps concurrently. And these are some questions that we're really going to need to answer over time is when do we do both? When do we do one? and when do we do the other? And I think we need more data to understand uh, the answers to those questions. I think a, a universal message in the interstitial lung disease sessions here has been the importance of clinical context and multidisciplinary diagnosis, even with the new techniques that are available, um, including cryobiopsy and genomic classifier, we still are not going to get away from the need to coordinate the clinical, pathological, and radiologic aspects of the case to make a correct diagnosis. The other thing I think is really important is getting to the right diagnosis because as we understand a bit more about the, um, the utilities of antifibrotic therapies like nintetinib in diseases other than idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, such as in the census study looking at systemic sclerosis-related ILD, um, that it, it still is important that we know the diagnosis that we're making, but we understand that there is um, more utility than perhaps we previously understood for these uh, antifibrotic agents in progressive fibrotic interstitial diseases other than IPF. I think this has really been a pivotal year, not only for IPF, but for fibrosing lung conditions beyond IPF. I think this is kind of a crossroads for fibrosing interstitial lung disease in terms of potentially having 
these antifibrotic uh, therapies to offer our patients. How this changes the treatment landscape, I think uh, will be potentially quite profound. How it changes our approach to patients will change as well. I think the fact that nintenonib is now approved for patients with connective scleroderma-related interstitial lung disease is a game-changer as well. Even though we use therapies like cyclophosphamide and mycophenolate, um, those haven't been approved by the regulatory bodies for the treatment of scleroderma ILD. So this is the first medication that's actually approved for that specific indication. I think this is also going to serve to raise awareness of scleroderma-related interstitial lung disease, hopefully foster an earlier diagnosis in these patients, and I think we're going to see um, tremendous benefits for our patients down the road, which we might not fully realize as yet at this time. It was very exciting for me, especially to see at this meeting, that there were daily sessions on palliative care. I think that that is really important, and I'm glad to see that others are starting to see the role of this uh, for helping our patients with lung disease. And an important factor is some providers don't want to bring it up because they're afraid that it's taking away hope. And it's really not that. It's really palliative care, which can also be called supportive care or quality of life care. Is imp it's important because it addresses symptom burden and our goals for our patients should be to help them have the least amount of suffering and the best quality of life. It was very exciting to see the energy with the women in medicine movement at this meeting. And I attended two separate sessions where they spoke about the importance of negotiating and uh, speaking up when you feel that you may be wronged. Um, one of the uh, interesting topics that I heard and I thought was really very important was that sometimes women are passed over for opportunities because perhaps they have a baby at home or a few children and they wouldn't have time. But the, the message that was sent was it's really important to allow them to make that decision and not to make decisions for other people. So I thought that was really very interesting and very important.